You're listening to The Product Edge, and I'm Jade Bennett, Australia's leading product management recruitment expert, founder of Middleton Executive, and a professional development and mindset coach. In this podcast, I take you on a journey into the minds of exceptional product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers. In each episode, I introduce you to experts in their field, and my mission is to help every product professional level up and reach their full potential by providing you with the skills, insights, and tools that you need to excel in your career and gain your product edge. I'm Georgia Hart, Principal Consultant at Middleton Executive and your guest host. I'm passionate about all things product and tech and can't wait to explore some amazing topics with Australia's top product leaders. Joining me today is Frank McKenna. Frank has over 20 years of experience in product management across many industries, including fintech, martech, legal tech and research tech across the USA, Europe and here in Australia. He has helped a diversity of organizations from large enterprises to small startups on their digital innovation and scaling journeys. As well as having a passion for building great products, he also loves growing individuals and teams to reach their full potential in the product space. So welcome to the Product Edge, Frank. Hey, thanks, Georgia, and thanks for the invite. I'm so excited to be discussing how to be a more data-led product manager with you, Frank. We have so much to cover, but before we dive in, could you give us a quick overview of your experience to date? No problem, Georgia. And I want to say thanks again for the invite. I've been a great admirer of Product Age and the great work that Middle and Executive do for product managers for a while now. I'm very happy to contribute to the conversation. Originally, I worked in IT, uh, which was was great for giving me an understanding of how you know, systems were implemented and maintained and governed, but it was never my true love. I really found my true love when I wandered into product management after taking a break from IT to teach English in South America for a year. I had just come back and my boss said, uh, we have something called product management. Do you want to do it? And I said, what's that? And he goes, well, I think it's about creating new products. You want to go up and talk to the head of product? And I said, sounds interesting. Let me have a go. And I've been doing it ever since. Um, in those days, I worked with Experian in the marketing tech world, and the focus is around data quality. And this really gave me a good appreciation of how good quality data was key to good decision making. And uh, I also got an appreciation, appreciation of how analytics was going to change the game, um, you know, as well as the basics of good product management. Then I worked with uh, LexisNexis in legal tech um, in Asia Pacific. There, I got a grounding in data when in regards to content management, but also around decision-making, workflows, cloud, mobile, and quite a few other buzzwords going around at the time. Then I had a fantastic opportunity with CBA to work with big data and analytics. It was to work with uh, DBA, CBA's data sets. CBA, uh, I don't know if you noticed, Georgia, but CBA has over 40% of all the financial transactions going through Australia, goes through their systems. Um, so my remit was, we have all this data, what can you do to help business clients? And by the way, here's a team of data scientists to help you. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I ended up working with them and a brilliant engineering and go-to-market team um, to use this data to help the, our clients, but also drive a couple of banking products while we're at it. Um, data IQ, the product itself, uh, was processing 1.4 billion records per day, personalizing the experience for 1 million customers. 
on a daily basis. Um, but mostly I was just having a lot of fun seeing what big data and analytics could do. But then I had only worked in large organizations, so I wanted to get some experience in the startup world. So when I joined Data Republic, uh, whose big idea was to democratize data via governed data sharing and the concept of analytics to the data and not data to the analytics. Um, then I joined Covidence in the research tech world. In Covidence, I've been lucky enough that during the pandemic, I've had a chance to directly contribute to the pandemic response. Um, Covidence's product helps the Australian COVID-19 task force produce the Australian COVID-19 guidelines to frontline practitioners. Our software underpins the synthesis of all global research and COVID-19 treatment on a weekly basis into these guidelines. So that's been kind of very rewarding. Um, as you can see, it is a pretty diverse background, but I would have to say the one constant is, apart from working with amazing people, of course, is the use of data in decision-making. And that leads me on to all of my questions that we're going to go through today. Um, and, you know, as everyone knows, we live in a very data-driven world with data fueling a lot of the decisions that we're making. Um, it allows product managers to make more well-rounded product roadmaps. But to put it simply, what is data-led product management to you? That's a great question, Georgia. And for me, at its most basic, data-led product management is using the best quality data available to objectively and systematically inform product decisions. I really love that phrase, uh, data-led. It quite nicely captures the concept of using data in product decisions. Uh, unfortunately, I rarely hear it. Quite often what I hear is data-driven, which sounds great, but doesn't really capture the reality of product management decision-making. Let me explain what I mean here. A handy mental model that I use when I think of product management decisions is a spectrum. On the one end, you have data inspired. This is where the product manager has little actual customer generated data and has to rely on intuitive sense or gut feel uh, to see, to inform what the target segment wants. And no product manager could sit here for very long and sustainably be successful unless of course you're Steve Jobs. Quite often you are here because you're at the beginning of discovery and searching for product market fit. You have a sense of the problem space for a certain user persona and potential solution, but you don't actually have much actual user data. If you're here, you're looking to increase the amount and quality of data you have for your decision-making, which happens as your customer, your customer base grows. The other extreme of the spectrum is data-driven. That's where very few product managers are lucky enough to operate. And it's only in the large sophisticated data organizations with relatively mature products with huge customer bases. We're talking Facebooks, Googles, Amazons here. The data sets are huge, they're comprehensive, high quality, and generated by your target user segment. The data scientist's dream. You trust the data analytics and you follow what they say. This is where you're getting towards predictive and prescriptive analytics. It's very good for getting more of the same, more of the same customers. Not so good for driving growth from new segments of products because in those segments, you just don't have the data. The majority of us in product management sit in the big middle, which is commonly referred to as data informed. You have imperfect data sets and you need to allow for the error in them. Our main tools here are conclusions, which is hypothesis and testing. You're trying to avoid opinions. 
is the process of you know incremental learning where you set an objective, you seek metrics to understand, form an hypothesis, um, test, understand, uh, form a hypothesis, adapt, repeat until you get predictable results. The challenge here is that while you might get some data sets which are predictable and reliable, there's always 10 more that you need that are not. So you're always kind of using this um, having the data inform it, but understanding that there's error in the data. So data-led means that you start somewhere closer to good instinct end of the spectrum and work really hard to get better and better data sets through collection and refinement until you can rely on the data and analytics to drive most of your decision-making. That is until, of course, you have to come up with a new product or a new segment to target, and then you have to start again. Or you can use what you have to inform. Um, I've actually found that this maps very well to the product life cycle. At the very beginning, it's product market fit, which is data inspired. As you gain more data and start to cross the chasm, you become more data informed. You are now looking for key metrics, playbooks, and about refining them. And if you're very lucky during link maturity, you have more data as you use data from existing customers to acquire and expand more of the same. Nice. So in your opinion, then, if product managers were to put data at the heart of everything they do, would that lead to better decision making? Yes, definitely. Um, I think every product manager, in my experience, wants to use data in all their decisions. But the challenge is they have to make do with the data they have. Um, I have found, um, in my experience, I'm talking to a lot of other uh, product managers, is that metrics for most companies tends to be an afterthought. When you arrive, there's little or nothing there, and you're just trying to grab whatever you have to try and make some sort of informed decision and using proxies all over the place. I don't recall a single occasion where I've worked in a company or advised a company that had good product data from the very beginning. So what you end up doing with data being data-led is you're always working to get more and refine it and getting better and better data sets. You kind of have to keep the focus on because nobody else is really doing it for the product. Um, and the product data is not just from the usage of the product, and that's often quite a misnomer. Um, this, there's several sources of data that you use in decision-making. Um, there's, of course, the traditional metadata, which is data derived from the usage of your product, You know who logged on when and where. Um, but also, don't forget, you need also the financial data linking the who to the dollars. Um, you can ask customers directly. That's the qualitative and quantitative. This is your customer interviews and questionnaires. The frontline staff using their objective and subjective data, which you might find kind of deviates a little bit, um, which is, you know, the support, sales support and marketing. This is things like, you know, for sales teams using their sales metrics, such as number of calls, conversion rates, average order value, et cetera. And then also asking them directly for customer feedback, which helps not only triangulate the data you've been given, but also gives you kind of some customer sentiment data. And of course, you've got your secondary data sources, you know, what competitors are doing, what analysts in the industry are saying, et cetera. Um, I think for me, though, for um, many of the product managers is that you need to actually think of uh, data in product management decision-making on two levels. And quite often I find is that product managers only do it on one level or feel they only have a right to or only allowed to. Now, the first level, and these two levels are interdependent. The first level is the business level. This is kind of the user journey through the company and the product. 
This is directly linking into the business goals to generate revenue and control costs. It's the quintessential buyer journeys and the product growth loops. This is understanding how product plays in this as it goes through your organization, as the customer you know, has that experience of consuming the value that you're producing. But quite often, large organizations and the product manager overlooked in this. This is kind of the domain of sales, of the growth teams, of other teams, and you're not there. You're just a figure on the products. But if they do this or it's allowed to happen, I believe that you have a really suboptimal outcome for both um, business-to-business products where the buyers and users are quite often different, and also in the B2C, the buyers-to-consumers, where the buyers and users are the same. You need to think, you need to have this, information because one you can change the product to help it and two is you need this information to provide context for your roadmap um, the way that i often see this is there's two aspects to this one is you need to look at the it's not a funnel but more like an hourglass which is how is the product driving acquisition retention repeat usage and expansion of sales um, and then I'd also encourage people to actually look, see if there's actually viral product growth loops happening within the product, where actually the use of the product is helping acquire more users. Um, I've actually been in at least two or three organizations where they had a sense that there was this viral product going on, but they everybody never sat down and actually said, no, let's get the metrics to see, do we have a viral product growth loop or not? Do we have a network effect or not? Um, so this is where the individuals impact the growing of the ecosystem and this is all about understanding the incentive to friction points and particularly the conversion rates and the conversion percentage and you do this with segments and cohorts this is the segment and quite often what i find is um that the product managers don't focus enough on the cohorts so it's a period of time when this person started in november what is the journey of that person versus the person who started in october versus the person who started in january because they're different and you want to check those and start comparing them they're very important um, an example of a, a, a viral product growth loop is one we have here in covenants which is um, we have research teams so for every lead researcher who comes on or lead reviewer um, they invite four other people onto their team in order to use our product. And the, these communities of researchers are very close, very close knit. So they all recommend to each other. So rather than just focusing on how we're using a product, we actually then took up another level and okay, what's the what's actually is the viral product growth loop? What is the user journey? And how can inviting one person on got four more? And how can we get those four having a great experience that they recommend our product? get more people on so basically have the multiplier effect and um, it's quite funny like i i talked to and advised some product managers and mentored them and they don't think on this level they, they've outsourced it without understanding that actually the product is a key fundamental aspect of it and then of course on the next level is the product level which is the one where you're actually looking at the user journey through the product and that's the traditional you know usage metrics how long they're staying on each page, and also some sentiment um, metrics as well. You know, the the love metrics, as we call them, like the NPS scores, and also the importance. Um, these Because sentiment metrics, which is quite often not collected on a systematic basis, is a very good lead indicator of usage and retention.
Awesome. And so I guess leading on from that then, how can product managers learn to manage the complexities of data? Um, I suppose the first one is to try and keep it simple and not get intimidated by the data itself. You need to start with a clear objective of what you want to do and what you want to find out. And then you see what data sources are available for you to uh, to, to find out. Like So um, then you just go and find the metrics to help you do that. So if you think about it, whether it's either going to be on the the business level, which is about conversion rates, which is about you know usage and conversion rates, or it's on the product level, which is about usage and experience. It it gets a lot simpler because quite often people get intimidated by well, actually, well, where's the data, or how can I get the data, or how do I find out this? And that's that's not where you need to focus. The focus is get some basic metrics that are reliable, and the data is reliable, and just start from expanding from there. Are people using us? Are they coming back and using us? And are they buying more of us later on? And what is the churn rate of those things, especially when it comes to SaaS? They're the basics. Everything else is starting to get crazy on top. And so then how can product managers ensure that the data they're using is quality data? Um, This is really where... um, a good trick I find out about this is, is one is you're doing hypothesis testing, you're seeing reality. But for every key metric that you have, it's very important uh, to actually have a counter metric. So what a counter metric is, is it's, it's another metric which is saying that if the first metric is true, then this also should be true. So for example, in one app that I use, we wanted to increase the time on the app itself because the more time they're spending, the more, more chances of buying other products. The counter metric we had for this one was the number of tasks or jobs to be done that were being completed during the time because the logic that we had applied, the hypothesis we had was if you're spending more time, you should be doing more stuff. Now, if they're spending more time, but they weren't doing more stuff, then actually they would have just been spending longer trying to do the same thing, which is a problem in the user experience. So these counter metrics. Now, a very classic one that's actually used is um, LTV to CAC. So lifetime value of client versus customer acquisition costs. Mm -hmm. Because that's actually a counter metric. Because if that's true, if your LTV is true and you're getting revenue, if if your objective is profitable clients, then and you understand that this and your hypothesis, if we go with this channel, we'll be getting more clients on and be much more uh, cost efficient. Then for every revenue you get on, your cost of acquisition should be good down per client. So um, that's probably one of the, the key things I would do to check the quality. It really it helps me all the time and the teams. The other one is, is that you just really need to go in and kind of experiment and, and test it and don't be afraid to actually get into the data itself and use the teams around you. Um, use your engineering team, use your marketing team, use your sales team. They have a good feel for it. Use your customer support team. They have a good feel for it. They'll help you get a sense of whether it's true or not. And eventually you'll get a good instinct to going, this figure doesn't make sense. And then you go investigate some more. So with all of this in mind, then, do you think that data or being data led as a product manager creates more customer focused products? Absolutely. Um, 
it, it's, I think, I always remember my first um, product manager uh, boss, the, the head of engineering, he used to drill into us. He would say, you are not the customer. No matter how much affinity you think you have with them, <laughs> you are not them. <laughs> and I think if you if you take that, which is no matter how much I think I know the customers, I am not them. I do not live their day. I do not spend what they are beforehand and what they are afterwards and be willing to let the information that you're seeing guide you. Um, again, as I said before, as you're forming hypotheses, it's using your conclusions. You are using you know, your knowledge in this. But if you allow you to do that, then the chances of you doing something which the customers actually value and they, it's demonstrably shown to be valuable is much, much greater. Um, because ultimately, you can't just rely on customer interviews because what customers say and what customers do are tend to be different. And you can't just rely on what they do because you don't understand why they're doing it. it means you can't always get them to do more of it. So you kind of need to get the balance between both. But if you do and you are willing to be wrong, I mean, I think what's really key and I, I, I am I'm really kind of drill into my my teams, which is, you know, we try and use the scientific method, which means I can't prove it, but I can't disprove something to be true. So we're not looking to prove a hypothesis, but we're actually looking for data which isn't compliant with the hypothesis, because that data is where the insights come from. That deviation from what we thought, I mean, happy days if it goes compliant, great, we can now build on it. But if it's not, it may not because it's a segment issue, it may not be for something else. And that insight can really help us make better decisions. Awesome. And, and I guess being that you've been working in technology for such a long time and at Middleton Executive, this is a question that we're often faced with is how much technical knowledge do you expect a product manager to have in order to be successful? Um, I need them to have technical acumen, but I don't expect it to be very technical. And so there's a bit this debate between, you know, the, the Googles of the world where you have to be a, a qualified engineer before you can become a product manager versus someone who has no experience whatsoever um, and is more business focused. I under I tend to lean towards, for most cases, it's the business. The only time technical where you actually can do programming is really important. It's great, yes, you do have a better affinity with the engineering team and it's good, but you can get that anyway just from working with them day to day, um, is that if your product happens to be a product used by engineers, then you probably have a better sense of it. Otherwise, you don't need it because for me, um, Product managers decide the what and the priority of the what, and the engineers decide the how. And so it's really a clarity of who's making what decision. So while I may have an opinion of the how, it's not my decision as to which one we will go with. That's what you know the CTO, the head of engineering decides to do. Um, but when it comes to what and what priority, that should be our clarity of decision. Um, and having that uh separation where my job is to understand the customer better <laughs> is uh, really helpful and if you if you start muddying the waters with having them so technology it, it it's it doesn't always help again as i said before they must understand technology they must understand when the engineer is going is i can't go forward on this because the, the database is not working or the fact is that we have to split this so um that you need to be able to understand those conversations because also tech debt is part of your roadmap you need to allow for it in your roadmap so you need to understand what it is in order to allow for it 
Um, it is uh, um, one thing which actually this this does lead into to be a bit controversial because if you're a product manager and not a little bit controversial, you're not doing your job. Um, is is that there's this thing between the CPTOs and the CPOs and the CTOs and and which is that and there's a trend that's kind of sometimes you swing towards having both of them together and both of them apart. And there are some fantastic CPTOs out there who do a brilliant job and are brilliant at it. But for the most part, I find that it's really challenging to do both jobs well because the chief product officer, they need to spend most of their time outside the building talking to customers and understanding the environment context. And the CTO spends most of their time inside the building talking to an engineering team and getting it built. And if you're doing both, then it's very hard for you to, to focus on, um, on one aspect or the other. The other part of this is, um, I think quite often the conversations that the CTO and the CPO have, especially when there's uh, a divergence of opinion on things, is a conversation which needs to be surfaced at the C-level. The CEO should be part of that if you're a technology company. And if that's not coming to the surface, in a way, the CEO is missing a large part of the conversations of which they need to be part of. And um, so I think it's actually helpful to split those two apart. And that definitely makes sense. I mean, no one can be in two places at once, can they? So <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, look, Frank, it's been so amazing talking with you today. And thank you so much for sharing your insights and experiences with us. How can our listeners stay connected with you? Um, you know, I think the the LinkedIn is one of my main things, say LinkedIn. Um, they can also find me talking at conferences and also um, um, Instagram. Have you got any conferences coming up? Uh, quite a few have been cancelled at the moment because of a certain oh, pandemic. No. <laughs> They're not going to be moving online then. No. Well, we'll wait until uh, lockdown's finished to be seeing you speaking at some more conferences. Um, lastly, what's, what would be your one piece of advice for product managers? Um, I would say is that the only laws of nature, only the laws of nature are facts. Everything else is hypothesis. So you need to keep flexible and objective in your conclusions and the actions that come out of it um, as new pieces of data are uncovered. Um, it's okay to be wrong. Love that. We can, we can all learn from our mistakes. <laughs> well, look, thank you again. It was lovely speaking to you today. We'll chat, chat again soon. It was awesome. Thanks for me and Georgia. And uh, thanks everyone else. Bye now. Thank you for listening to The Product Edge brought to you by Middleton Executive. You can head to theproductedge.com.au to subscribe to Australia's number one podcast for all things product management. I would love for you to subscribe, rate and leave us a review. Until next time, I look forward to introducing you to more product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators and hustlers who will share their insights and experiences to help you level up and reach your full potential.